0: we're going to be looking at the book of Revelation. And if you remember, I'm just going to bring some um, refreshing um, things today, um, just to refresh our memories of things that we covered um, in the first part of the book of Revelation, where we dealt mainly with the churches. But if you remember, the, 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 the presentation of the book of Revelation starts as this, stage with spotlights and the curtain is slowly opening up for us to see. And perhaps um, it's a book that we don't understand everything. I don't think the purpose of the book is that we have got a total understanding of all the details and the the meaning of all the, the symbols but I think one of the reasons why John is having this revelation is in order to encourage, in order to, to, to actually with his pastoral heart to nourish the people that are in the midst of persecution. There were in the time when the book is written there were four main strands, really, that were going on in the life of the uh, church community. So the first trend was that um, there was a big rise of the Roman Empire, and there was a, a tremendous persecution happening. And we see it also in the Book of Acts. We see it uh, pictured in other churches. And in the midst of this persecution, uh, people actually were really struggling to continue to follow Christ and therefore they're really in this dilemma what do we do in the midst of this persecution and then what was unhelpful as well is that while persecution was going on there was some strands of false teaching that were going around the churches and therefore John has received this revelation to address those churches that having to do with Strange ideas that had come from the Greek and the Roman thought that had kind of, um, well, syncretized with, with the Christian faith, and they, they, they really didn't know what to do uh, about that. In the same time, there was a lot of um, tension as I said, that came from the false teaching, that came from the persecution. And there was this tension or this, this easier way that if we wanted to, to leave as Christian community on those days, the call out to compromise was great. Because to compromise was the easy way out. And therefore, there was this idea that actually... We can do this, but if we try to compromise these other areas of our kind of faith, then uh, we should be fine. And I think John is reaching out to them to affirm them that actually, even compromising, as much as it looks very comfortable or as it looks as an easy way, it's a cop-out. And the other thing is that... In the midst of this strands of false teaching, persecution, compromise, there was another strand in the church that was, I can't be bothered. It was a strand of spiritual lethargy. And that's why one of the letters, is, John is very prescriptive about the church, that actually, you're asleep, wake up, wake up. So, in, in all of this picture, as this kind of stage, these curtains are opening up and we, we, we're trying, John is invited to go a little bit deeper. And as I was reading this week, I, I see that in the attempts of different theologians and interpreters to bring a, a, a as close as understanding of the whole book. The vibes that I get is that... And I'm very happy to be challenged in this. But the vibes that I get is that somehow, John is inviting his readers, is inviting the congregations of people that he is writing to, to come and see. I mean, John himself is being invited to come and see... And in one sense, this, this whole drama or theater that is unfolding is really unknown. And, and in a way, there is a lot of things that are going back, go- going on on the backstage, like they do in a proper drama. But in another way, I think there is, a uh, uh, for me, I, my understanding is that there is an invitation that actually... The readers are going to be asked to be part of the play. It's a very you're invited to, to to come and see the drama, but somehow you you're also invited to take part in that. And that's what has been going on also through the centuries. And what we're going to be looking today in those three chapters and one verse is a glimpse of what goes on In the backstage. If you were to ask me what is one of your favorite passages of the New Testament, I would probably, when it comes to this place of doxology and this place of ascribing God's greatness, I'd love to stop at chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Revelation. And I'd like for us as well to to do that a little bit like as we read read it, that we kind of allow God's Spirit to move in our hearts and we dwell on this great vision and this great um, description of who God is and what He's about to reveal Himself. So, the condition is that what is expressed in the book of Revelation. That is a blessing for the person who is reading it, but also it's a blessing for those who hear it and take it into action. So let's stop for a moment and ask God for that blessing and then I'd like to ask for a volunteer. So here we are, Father God, Ready to receive from your ancient word. Thank you that you've given us this word, and thank you that through your spirit you'll unfold the truths of your word today to us. I pray, Lord, that you're going to give us appetite. I pray that you'll feed us today. And I pray, Lord, that you'll transform us through your words and by the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Revelation chapter 4. Would anyone like to read it for us, please?
1: This is chapter 4, 872 in the Church Bible, um, and it's entitled, The Throne in Heaven. After this I looked, and there before me was a w- door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you <coughs> what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit. And there before me was a throne in heaven with somebody sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. A rainbow resembling a, an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated in them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads, From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center, round the throne, were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and behind. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being."
0: Thank you. So do you get the picture of that curtain opening up a little bit? And in this vision, there is this invitation for us to, to really sense the movement, the sound, the colours, and all of this complexity of, of, of this vision. But at the same time, it points out to something that is really crucial. Remember? The congregation, the people that were receiving this letter, were struggling. And of course, God who gives the vision to Jesus, who gives the vision to the angel, who gives it to John, to give it to the recipients of this letter, really wants to affirm them that actually, Although you may find your situation very hard, God is in charge. He is sovereign. He has to, to kind of start this, what I've called this chapter, it's the song of the old. It's the song of the Old Testament to be reminding that actually, holy, 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 Come on, the recipients knew that he was talking about, remember Prophet Isaiah, remember Ezekiel, remember all these encounters of the old. This is the song of the old that they need to bring back into the memory to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive the glory, the honor, the power, for you have created all things. And by your will, they were created and they've got their being. It goes back to the story of creation. It goes back to knowing that actually God, although the situation is really grim, you're in charge. You are the Creator. In the same time, it's dealing with actually with Gnosticism of those days. That all the things that were over spiritualized and all the things that actually had to come through this enlightenment, John is saying, no, no, it's nothing to do with that. It goes back to the story and to the song of the old. God, you have created everything and you are in charge. And I know that probably for the gnostics this was not the way forward. I know that perhaps for those people that were really struggling with compromise, maybe there was somewhere in the middle. But, because... God is the creator. He's going to redeem his people. But it has to start with that reminder of getting on our knees and worshipping because he alone is worthy. Now, what is... Our song of
1: the
0: old. I've been trying to think of this all week as I've been preparing. What is my song of the old? What is something that acknowledges God's power in my life and puts me down back into my knees and saying, God, you are worthy. For you alone are worthy, because you were, you are, and you are to come. What is the song of the old of this church? Because I think one of the reasons why John is writing to these guys is that perhaps they've lost sight of that. And I just wonder if I, as Marky, as individual, because I'm so busy, worried, I'm so busy compromising, I'm so busy contemplating what to do with today and tomorrow, I forget the song of the old. I forget the story of how God came near me. I forget the story of how he dealt with me and how he's been so patient with me. And we can also have that tendency to do it in a church life. Especially for a church like ours that we take pride in being here for so many years. But what is the song of the old? When I finish sharing... This is a question that I would like for you to answer as a response before we come and take communion together. What is our song of the old? Let's move on to chapter 5. And my intention this morning is for us to dwell more on the scripture. So as it's being read, please allow God to speak to you through that scripture. Have we got a volunteer for reading chapter 5, please?
2: could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain standing in the centre of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, And they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour, and glory, and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, singing, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be praise, and honour, and glory, and power, for ever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Amen. Thank
0: you. This is phenomenal. As much as it's complicated, it's so simple. Because on that place of worship, John is seeing, he's finding himself being so vulnerable. And this, this, Documents is given with seals which was to prove the authority which was to prove the, the ownership which was you know we used to have them in the navy all the secret places that all the secret documents were kept they were locked and then they were sealed so that seal was a proof that nobody had gone and looked and spied out what was there and there was only one person who had the key, and who had the seal. There was only one person in the whole base that knew the secret, or knew the information. I don't know whether it was secret or not. And if that seal was removed, or was played with, or it was messed around, it was big trouble. And John is finding himself in the same position. He's saying, this scroll with seven seals is handed over. But who is worthy to open this, the, this, the scroll? To, to, to take that... Str- well, the seals in the navy was this big plot of clay with a string. Who's able to, to, to... Who's got the guts to take that string and pull it off the seal? I've done this to one of my books because one of the interpreters says that John has come to this place that he wants to read a novel. This is not a novel, this is not a very old book. And there is a part that is missing from the novel. And then, once this part is put back to the book, then you get the whole picture of the plot, from the beginning to the end. And the vision that John sees is a vision of a lion. He's presented with this notion of this animal which has got such much presence and authority and loyalty. And yet, as he looks, he sees the lamb that has been slain. And is this picture, this confusing picture, but it's so clear in itself, of this lion lamb who is Jesus Christ. The Lion Lamb who's got the authority to remove the string from the seal. The Lion Lamb who came from the line of Judah lived his life here on earth and in the end of the day was crucified Like a thief. To save. To bring salvation. To bring redemption. To bring this story of God unfolding into completion. So people are eventually, ultimately reconciled with God. And only this lion lamb can do that. And from this place of not knowing what to do, there is a breakout of the new song. And John has got a new song. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. With your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. Glory to God. This is the new song. Once you have encountered Jesus, once you've realized what he has done, you're saying, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the person of Jesus Christ who is the Lion and the Lamb to take a scroll and open all the seals. So my second question this morning is what's your new song? When you've come to the realization that only Jesus is worthy to open the scrolls. Only Jesus has got that authority to redeem people to God. What's your new song? What's the new song of Cairns Road this morning? What's the new song for the coming weeks? And that's the question that I ask really boldly. Because if it doesn't come from that place of worship and recognition and revelation, then we're doing something wrong. What's our old song? What's our new song? That's what I want to encourage us. We'll have opportunities to think about that. Um, I was going to plan to carry on, actually. But we'll stop here. We're not in a rush with Revelation. We've been dealing with it for the last 2,000 years. But this week, as I've been preparing, I've really been struck by those two questions. And I want for us to have a moment now to stop. And I'm not saying that this we should have all answers and I will come and check what you've written on your questions or what you've been thinking about. But we're meeting here with God. And our attitude is we've come here to worship God and to meet with people. I just wanted for us to stop for a moment and think and say, oh, not say, but think and ponder what is our song of the old and what is our new song because we've met with Jesus today, because we have met with one another today. Is that all right? And then once we've got that sorted, between us and God I'll ask Caroline and the band to lead us in a time of worship but use that as a time to respond to whatever God puts in your heart today so Holy Spirit help us to do not get distracted by stuff that has gone on in the week or stuff that we've got coming up But as we come, Lord, to meet with you this morning, in your presence, that we acknowledge, Lord, together. We say that we want to see a fresh revelation of Jesus that is going to prompt us directly to the song of the old. And will make our hearts, Lord, spring to a new song. So that you receive the worship and the glory that is due to your name this morning and in the days to come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.